Hey, darling. Welcome to the She's a Creative podcast. Are you a female creative who wants to own your purpose and dominate your creative business? Then this is the podcast for you. I'm Kay, your host and guide to help you on your way to creative freedom and success. Hey, boo. Hey, I am so excited today, y'all. We are chatting with my girl, Lindsay Joseph. She is the founder of the Go-Getter Showcase podcast. She's a career, business, and leadership coach, a mompreneur, and a PhD candidate. Girl, she is doing all the things. And today we are talking about work-life balance. So welcome to the show, Lindsay. How are you? I'm doing excellent. How are you doing, Kay? I'm doing wonderful, doing wonderful. So let's just hop right in. Tell us a little bit about yourself and your journey. Right. So a little bit about myself. Um, This is always like the longest answer that I give. (laughs) So um, as you already stated, I am a career business and leadership coach for professional entrepreneurial women who want to advance their career or business while maintaining a healthy work-life balance. In addition to that, or or that also encompasses not just one-on-one coaching, but also workshops, webinars, and other services, some some done-for-you services like resume writing, cover letters, so on and so forth. But I also have a blog, and I also have a podcast, like you said, The Go-Getter Showcase, and a membership community as well that is really a digitalized um, community of women who are looking to really come together for professional development to both better themselves in their work as well as, well as in life in general. Um, so I've been doing that for approximately three years and um, absolutely love it. Like you said, I'm a PhD candidate. My major is human capital management. I have also a, in a master's in organizational leadership with a concentration in coaching. And I have a bachelor's in business administration with a concentration in management. Um, as you said, I'm a single mom. I have two children, one who is eight, one who is two. Um, you might hear the two-year-old in the background a little bit here. Um, And yeah, I mean, I'm a brand new transplant from Massachusetts. I've been in Georgia for a little bit over a year, first moved to Savannah, now living in Atlanta. And my journey here really started from, you know, getting pregnant at 18 with my oldest son. And I didn't know what I was going to do. I was in hair school, like right after high school, because I didn't you know, have any plans for college because I was in an abusive relationship with his father. And so ultimately I ended up in hair school just because I needed to do something and it was an easy thing to get into. Um, wasn't really good at it. Didn't like it. It was never something that I planned for either. And I think it was very evident retrospectively. So about 18 months or excuse me, let me back that up. So I ended up graduating being five months pregnant from hair school, took my state board, got certified, started working in a salon full-time when my son was about six months old. And then by the time he was nine months old, I was also in school full-time and working full-time as well while also having a baby. And so as I worked in the salon, I would, you know, kind of work on my, I was working on my associate's degree right before my associate's degree was going to end in the final semester. I ended up deciding I'm done with the salon, ended up getting an internship through my college. And then it was like at a big, you know, fortune, I believe they are a fortune 500 company, one of the biggest companies in Massachusetts for financial investments. And it was meeting, it was events in, it was basically event planning. I was in their department just doing administrative work. Didn't really like it. Um, But what would happen is every single day after, you know, our shift was over. They would take a shuttle bus from the seaport district all the way down to downtown where we would catch the train. And right next to the train station was a staffing agency. And it was like, 
okay, I don't know what's next. I don't know what I want to do. So I can just get a job helping other people find jobs, just like they're doing the staffing agency. So I ended up getting to recruiting and staffing. And I've been doing that for six years now. And I absolutely love it. But I got into it because I wanted to help people find jobs, whereas staffing and recruiting is more about helping a company find talent. So ultimately, it was like, I didn't, I I wanted to fulfill that part of me that wanted to help people because um, staffing and recruiting, sometimes there are things about it that are, you know, not so great, like discrimination, Um, which is very much, having been in this industry for six years, I can tell you that there is a lot of discrimination in staffing and recruiting, unfortunately, um, you know, and things like that. And so that being said, I really wanted to be able to focus on people. Um, and also because I was on the agency side of things, it's very sales oriented. And so beginning to see those commission checks and seeing like, wow, if I put in this type of work, this is the type of money I can make on the back end. That's really where I got the entrepreneurial bug. And so I started Greater Now as a way to be able to help women who were like myself, because again, going back to the fact that I was a single parent at the time, I had worked myself up through a mass, uh, excuse me, I had worked myself up through an associate's and a bachelor's degree program. I had maintained a career and I was building it and consistently making more money year over year. And as I became an entrepreneur, it's like, you know, this is difficult. And I know there are other women who are kind of going through what I'm going through. It may not be the same exact journey, but I do, you know, looking, even looking at the statistics, you know, women are, make up about 50% of this country, our our population in the United States. Women make about 50% of the population in the United States. They also make about half of the workforce, but we're on track to actually become more of like 60% of the workforce in the upcoming decade. And so we're going to out be, we're going to be more involved in the workforce than men are. We, um, out-earn degrees as far as men go. Like we get considerably more degrees than men do. And that's a trend that's been going on since the 60s. We start businesses at a faster rate than men do, but also we face workplace discrimination, sexual harassment. Mm -hmm. Um, Still aren't able to attain a lot of those leadership positions. They're very still, they're still very much male dominated, white dominated. Exactly. So even in business, you know, we start businesses have has to rates the men, but we have more trouble securing funding, um, being able to gain, gain support from our business and even just certain things that are psychological with women, because we've only been in the workforce as a, you know, we've only made up a considerable amount of the workforce over the last few decades too. And so oftentimes we don't have the psychological Um, confidence or self-efficacy when it comes to being an entrepreneur or even being a career professional that men do. Men typically think when they achieve something, oh, I was able to do this on my own. Whereas studies show that women more so think, you know, someone was able to help me. So anyone who's ever taken like a psych 101 class, we know that men and women psychologically are different. Men enjoy autonomy and the ability to be independent, whereas women are more relational in nature and they really like being around other people and working with other people and so on and so forth. And so that also that dynamic also shows up in the workforce, which creates a disadvantage with us. Like people continue to argue about, you know, pay inequality, which is a big issue with women in the workforce, is a lot of people argue, well, women just don't negotiate. And part of that is true, we don't. Men will typically say, 
even if they don't, if they, if they go in for a pay raise, they'll typically ask a single question that helps them so much. And I'll be like, what do I need to do in order to get a pay raise? Whereas women will typically just accept the answer that they're not getting a pay raise and go on about their business. And so that's why I work specifically with women because there are those discrepancies that put us at a huge disadvantage in the workforce and in business. Mm. Wow. You just said like a whole mouthful of things that like I never really thought too much about. Like obviously when I was, you know, in the workforce and, you know, having to do things, I did experience like, you know, oh, wow. You know, I, the whole feeling of, you know, I got this position because people helped me, you know, or, you know, because I built these really great relationships and, you know, people, you know, could see my value, you know, but that's so true. Like, because there were like some guys that got promoted and stuff and like, they were just like, oh yeah, I deserve this job because I'm me. And I'm like, what? Like, (laughs) what does that even mean? So yeah, like, I think that's like a really great um, thing that you kind of highlighted. And I was talking to somebody else also about like the, um, you know, like, of course, the wage gap as far as, you know, what women get paid versus men and stuff like that. And, you know, I think this is such a, a heavy topic, but also an important topic to talk about. Um, because I think as women, we do kind of struggle in the workplace when it comes to like, you know, standing up for ourselves, basically. Um, and I did not realize that we make up so much of the workforce. So that was definitely um, very interesting to, to find out. So um, what do you think or like, how do you think we could overcome that kind of obstacle as far as, you know, maybe feeling like it takes a community or like that we have to build these relationships to, you know, get a raise? Like, how can we shift our perspective of that? Because I feel like as women, we're just as deserving as men, you know, in these roles and in these positions. So how do we kind of shift from that mindset, you know? Right. So first thing I would say is definitely the aspect of self-efficacy. So what self-efficacy is, it's a psychological attribute that is kind of part of our psychological capital. So thinking about like how we think and how we deal with difficult situations as being something that can add value to both our personal lives and enrich it, but also to our professional career. And so self-efficacy is like a domain, like if you have confidence, self-confidence and think of things like that. It's typically just a general broad term. Self-efficacy is when we feel like we are good at a particular thing. Now, when we're good at a particular thing, we may not necessarily have that transferable to another thing. Whereas if we have self-confidence that just overall, like we feel good about ourselves and we can do anything. So those are where self-efficacy and self-confidence kind of differentiate. That being said, like I said, the root of some of these problems is you know, psychological and the fact that women don't make, haven't been in the workforce as long as men. The fact that women have traditionally maintained different roles, which we still to some degree maintain. Um, you, you're a married woman. I have children. You can definitely see how when you come home from work at the end of the day, some of those traditional roles probably still play true in your household. They definitely do in my household. Right. Um, and they definitely <laughs> greater society. It's something that, you know, it's society's expectations, it's our family's expectations, and it's something that we self-internalize as well too. And that's really the trap that professional women get caught in is that we're we're somewhere between our traditional roles as being caretakers and nurturers and gentle and, um, you know, weaker than men in a traditional sense. But we also have to go out and make this bread. We also have to go out and get promotions. We also have to go out and build these businesses. And so it's like this constant tug of war that women are in with what is it that I want to become versus what is it that I need to become in order to be acceptable as a woman. And so kind of balance our womanhood with our ambitions is 
a very, you know, it's something that millennial women and even women who are kind of like the generation before us are really struggling with, which again is kind of why I decided to do what I'm doing. But I feel like the self-efficacy is the first step in that is understanding that, you know, a lot of this is mental and really shifting our self our self-efficacy and the way that we think about ourselves as women, the way that we think about ourselves as career professionals, the way that we think about ourselves as mothers, the way that we feel about, you know, even our partners, as you can, and, and something that comes up a lot within the last few years is the fact that the biggest career decision that you can make as a woman is the person that you marry. Um, being somebody who, you know, got married at age of 26, was married for approximately six months, and this thing has been dragging out for three years, as we talked about earlier off off record, um, you know, I can definitely attest to how I actually married somebody who was trying to build me up as opposed to somebody who's actively trying to tear me down. Things could be a lot more, I could be a lot further along where I am, but a lot of it is also mental because I know I have children who are dependent on me and a lot of that creates a reason for me to push through. So the first thing I would say is it's definitely a mental thing. The other part of it is, again, society. So there are these external things, whether it is um, sexual harassment, some, whether it is sexual harassment, whether it is, you know, our discrimination where our boss is like, well, if by the time this woman reaches 35, she's going to need to be taking care of children and this at the next thing. So I'm not going to promote her because I don't feel confident she's going to be able to show up at work the way somebody who doesn't have that um, responsibility is going to. So instead of selecting women for these positions, we're going to consider men. We'll put them through the interview process because we need to, but ultimately we know that we're going to hire a man. Um, and, th- and that's just the truth of what happens in the workforce. You know what I mean? Right. And so a lot of that is external and it really requires advocacy. Like we have people who are advocating on behalf of equal wages and we see it coming up even, you know, in presidential, you know, we have the t- 2020 race where we have candidates who are beginning to talk about a lot of women's issues, whether it is, um, the ability to, you know, even out the wage gap, whether it is, you know, accessibility to different things, like obviously reproductive rights has been a big uh-huh. thing. And so a lot of it has to come down to advocacy because a lot of that does affect how things end up in the workforce, our policy. Um, it can be stuff like the Me Too movement, where it's just giving women a voice on how they can speak up. And as we see, a lot of these cases regarding Me Too do involve, even at a high level, they involve corporations, they involve Uber, they involve, you know, Facebook, they involve whatever the case may have you. Um, And understanding that these are just issues that we need to bring to the forefront because it is a societal thing. And for so long, society has operated in a way where women issues weren't taken as serious, where minorities issues weren't taken as serious, where immigration issues weren't taken as serious. And so the part of it that isn't mental, a lot of it is just being able to speak out and give a voice to the people who are considered disadvantaged in our society and making those who are more privileged aware of the fact that these are issues, they are serious, they are going to continue to be taken seriously. And if you continue to violate and step over the boundaries of these issues, there are going to be consequences because for so long there weren't any consequences to, you know, sexual harassment. There weren't consequences to, you know, discrimination. There weren't consequences to 
paying women less for the same work or minorities less for the same work. And so being able to really push for these issues and understand that, you know, there are people who care about them. And again, as we become a more diverse society where there are more women in the workforce, where there are more minorities in the workforce, where there are more educated minorities in the workforce, you know, these are going to be more and more prevalent issues and they're not going away anytime soon. Oof, you said a whole mouthful. I mean, and so much of it I agree with. And even going back to um, like one of the biggest career decisions you can make is just having the right spouse and picking the right spouse. Like that is so crucial because I see so many people who, um, you know, because of these like traditional uh, gender roles, you know, you can find yourself on the wrong side or in the wrong type of relationship because, you know, of this whole idea that as women, we are supposed to be, you know, these you know, baby, baby factories, basically, like, you know, you, you have babies, you clean up, you know, you take care of the home, but then you're also expected to work and bring in an income, but we're not treated equally or fairly. So, um, you know, it's definitely like a, a crazy situation overall. And I mean, I've never actually sat down and had a full conversation with someone that is this well-versed in it. So I really appreciate you bringing that insight um, because I know a lot of people can relate. And I know a lot of women in particular, um, you know, we all experience like these kind of things where like, I, I know for a fact, um, when I was a manager at um, this home health place, that I was making significantly less than other, like the male um, managers. And it was definitely very discouraging, considering that, you know, I had the degrees, I had the qualifications, I was doing the work, like there was nothing different, you know, besides the fact that I was a woman, or I am a woman. So, um, you know, I definitely like, I, I appreciate having this conversation. I'm glad that, you know, as a society, I feel like we are shifting. But I think that, like you said, it's going to take more um, advocacy on our part, you know, to like really advocate for ourselves. And like, you know, hopefully men will partner with us and advocate for us as well, you know, so that we can kind of even out this gap because it, it's, <laughs> it's really kind of senseless at this point, um, especially when, you know, we're doing just as much as our male counterparts, if not more, um, you know, when we're having to be primary caregivers to children and stuff like that. So, yeah. So we're talking about all this. Um, you know, I know that what you do focuses a lot on work-life balance and like you do so much, like you're a mom, you're a coach, you know, you have your podcast, you, you're a PhD candidate, like you're doing all these things. How have you figured out how to balance your life? Like, what is your secret? So the secret, I feel, again, I think it's more mental than anything else. It is, it comes from being a single parent and it comes from, you know, one of the things in my story that a lot of people aren't always aware of is the fact is like, you know, a lot of what I do is mental because I know what it's like to almost have opportunities taken away from me when I had nothing. Like I said, I got pregnant when I was 18. I was in an abusive relationship at the age of 18 and, you know, I didn't have anything. I was in hair school. I didn't have a degree. I didn't have a job. I was living with the parents. Um, and one thing that a lot of people aren't aware of is that I was actually in special ed all four years of high school. So it's not necessarily because I was, you know, a dummy or I had a, a learning disability or anything like that. It was just because I was unmotivated because I was not involved in extracurricular activities like I should have been. And, you know, I was just doing the wrong things. And, um, you know, people knew that my potential was a lot greater than what I was showing up in school for. And so they put me in a special ed program to kind of help me out with some of those things. I didn't have any classes down there, but it was kind of like a safe space for me to go if I got overwhelmed or frustrated or whatever the case may have you. Because I was one of those kids who would just like talk crazy during class and I would be disruptive because it was like I was bored because I was in 
because my, my grades weren't up to par because of how I was performing. Mm. And so not only like would I not do well in the classes, but it was like I understood the stuff. I just didn't want to do the work. And so I was becoming a distraction to other students. I was becoming a distraction to my teachers. And it was just, it was probably the best thing. Um, but um, that being said, like I did have, you know, different issues go- growing up that, you know, probably created me into the person that I am today because I wouldn't have become it without those. So in addition to being in special ed, you know, I was in an abusive relationship. And one of the things that I always try to mention whenever I bring up my history with domestic violence is the fact that I feel that there are probably so many women in prison simply because they were in a domestic violence situation. Because not only, you know, are you being beat, but you know, you have neighbors who are overhearing things. Sometimes these things happen in public and you're not even aware of it's happening in public because you're just so used to it happening. Um, and so the cops get called and sometimes when the cops get called, you get arrested too. Like that's just right. what it was. So, right. um, you know, I did build up an arrest record that is not good. Um, but it was, you know, I think maybe one of the five A and B's I actually got on that record was like true. And it was because I was fighting my boyfriend, like in a parking lot in a nail salon because he stole my car. Um, You know what I mean? And so I ended up in a situation very early on where if I didn't leave my boyfriend when I was pregnant, I probably would have gave birth to my child in jail. And so I, it kind of was like that epiphany moment where it's like, okay, I need to get this together because if they take everything away from me, I can't provide for my child. And this is going to be a little life for both of us. And so when I was able to, you know, get my first job, my first full-time job was when I was working in the hair salon. And then it's like, well, I need to go to college because I don't know how long this is going to last because I don't like it. I'm not good at it. Like, this sucks. Like, I don't want to do this. And my mom was like a first generation college student too. And she made more money than everyone else in our family. She's one of 13. Um, Only a couple of us in our entire family actually have degrees and I'm the only I'm the first person to actually pursue a PhD program as well too and so that being said you know there was always this expectation that I was gonna go to college I had like a little bit of a college fund set up for me when I was younger too and so it had my parents not instill that fact that you're going to college I probably would have never gone um even being in special ed all four years of high school. And so, you know, I ended up going back. And then when I can start seeing the fact that, wow, I was in special ed, I was, was meant, felt to me, I was always made to feel like I wasn't good enough or I wasn't smart enough or I couldn't achieve these things. But when I started seeing myself achieving more and more, it's like, this is making me hungry. And so that's the thing is I know what it's like to feel like my future is going to be taken away from me. And then to be able to turn it around. And so that is really what motivates me as far as the actual like time management and like the particulars of that, as far as the actual time management and the particulars of that, quite honestly, it's just being able to prioritize what makes the most sense at what particular time. Because I'm definitely the type of, you know, some entrepreneurs, they feel like they need a stunt for social media. They need to stay consistent. This stuff, the next thing. And I understand that that is important to be consistent, but I'm also very transparent just as I'm being transparent with you right now. And so I can be transparent with my audience. Like today I put out my newsletter that was supposed to come out yesterday. And I told, and the name of the newsletter was be kind to yourself because I was on vacation. I had to deal with this divorce. I had to do all these other things. And so for me, it's just being real with your audience. They'll accept your answer when you may fall off the bandwagon or you may you know drop the ball here and there like you give them a real answer because they get to know you and they understand you and so you know sometimes it's just being able to pivot and sometimes you pivot at the times where it's not expected but again if you're 
audience follows you, if your audience understands you, if your audience admires you and respects you, and you're honest with them, you can give them an honest answer. And it's like, okay. And, you know, it's always a matter of dropping some, you know, some knowledge with it. Like, this is why I did what I did. And this is how it can benefit you too, if you find yourself in this kind of a situation. So giving them a learning lesson from, you know, your own experiences and expectations sometimes is how you, you know, you know, because at the end of the day, I can't serve other people if I'm not doing what I'm supposed to be doing for myself first. Yes. I'm not going to be up all night writing a newsletter, you know, and, you know, not sleeping and then, you know, having issues with my day-to-day job that I'm supposed to be balancing or being here upset and angry and yelling at my kids. Like, I'm not going to do all of that just to put out a newsletter. Like, right. I'm not. And so, <laughs> um, you know, it's a matter of understanding that, you know, there are certain things at certain times that are they precedence over other things and then other things have to fall to the wayside. But you always, whenever you drop the ball, you always address the fact that you dropped the ball, why you did it and what you could have done differently and how you can turn that into a learning lesson for other people. And so I'm one of those people that, you know, I am a solopreneur, but I operate my business with flexibility because that's what I built it for to be able to have flexibility in the future. I shouldn't not have to have, I shouldn't, feel as though I don't have any flexibility now while I'm still building it. And so that's kind of how, that's how the technical aspect of how I do it all kind of operates. I love that. And I love that you, um, the whole be kind to yourself thing. I think that's so important um, as people, you know, and as women who we're balancing so many different things, like, you know, you're a mom, you have a business, you have a full-time job, your PhD can't like we do all these things as women. And I think that being kind to ourselves is like one of the things that we leave off of the list. Um, and it's so easy to do that. It's so easy to, you know, focus on everything else and all the other things that we have to do and not ourselves. And I think that um, that is kind of like a huge secret to all this. And I love how transparent you are in sharing your entire journey and like your story, you know, and I think that we have to get to a point where we're not ashamed to like share our experiences because that's how we're going to relate to each other. That's how we're going to encourage each other and support one another and just continue to kind of um, move forward and, you know, see progress and see success for ourselves if we can just be honest. And I love like your, your whole point about um, not having to, or not feeling afraid of, you know, falling off the bandwagon, you know, but then coming back and teaching a lesson or sharing a lesson you know, about that experience, because like, life is not perfect, like our businesses will never be perfect. You know, we are not perfect people. But it's always nice to, you know, see that like, I think that's why a lot of people can, you know, like they're relating to you, they can relate to me, because like, I'm quick to say like, okay, this week's up, like, you know, and this is why, and this is how I'm gonna, you know, overcome it, or this is how I've overcome it. And um, like you said, if your audience really, you know, knows you, if they really trust you, respect you, they like you, you know, like, they're gonna be okay with, you know, any kind of, setbacks that you may have or any kind of pivots that you need to make or whatever. So, um, you know, thank you for sharing that because I think it's so important when we're talking about work-life balance to like, remember that, you know, (laughs) there's, there's a fine line, you know, sometimes it won't be balanced. Like sometimes it's going to be, you know, really stressful. Sometimes, you know, you're going to be giving a hundred percent or, you know, maybe not a hundred, but like 80% to your work, you know, and your life just, you know, it's just, a mess but you know as long as we're trying actively to kind of balance that out I think that we're on a really good path so I love that and I kind of want to pivot a little bit to talk about like the whole career and business coaching thing um so I know that you do career business coaching and I just was wondering like when do you think people should invest in a career and business coach like 
why should we invest in like when when should we do this yeah so when to invest in coaching um that's a very good question i think it you know it's always good to have a support system when you start out um so there are a lot of free resources when you're first trying to you know understand what your idea is when you're trying to you know come up with your value proposition there's so many free resources and there's so many I guess, quote unquote, substitutes for coaching out there that it doesn't necessarily be, need to be one of those things like coming out the gate, you need a career coach. Like there are basics that you can look up and research yourself. But when you're getting to a point where I guess you're falling stagnant or it's coming to a point where you're struggling and you know you can't do it alone and you have and you always know when you can't do it alone. But sometimes you feel as though you have to do it alone. And so you continue to push yourself forward like and you're really not getting anywhere because you do need help. You need some support on the continue of your journey. And so when you get to that point where you feel stagnant and you know that you need somebody, but you don't know exactly who, that's when you should invest in a coach. So I know that there are a lot of different, I guess, variations or definitions of what a coach is because coaching is not a regulated industry right now. So like therapy, it's very clear what a therapist does. It's very clear what a lawyer does. It's very clear what a doctor does because those are regulated industries where you have to go to school, you have to get licensed by the state, you have to be able to operate within that state license and you can't necessarily operate, you know, across state borders if you're not licensed in that state. So coaching doesn't operate like that. Coaching operates like I've done this for like three years or five years or 30 years and I know about this subject matter. And so I just lost my job or I just decided that I'm done or I'm retiring. So I'll just do some freelance work and I'll print up business cards that say coach on them. So though I was actually, like I said, I went to my master's, when I did my master's degree program, I did it in a concentration in coaching. And now that certificate I got from the end of my concentration, it's actually, I'm eligible to be certified by the International Coaching Federation, which is one of the main credentialing bodies for coaching. And they're really more of an advocacy group. Like they're pushing to create some of those regulations and standards around what coaching is. And so they've kind of kind of up their own standards. And the way that they the way that they perceive coaching is more that it's a cognitive development process as opposed to I know the answers to how you get from point A to point B, and this is the process I need to take you through. So me as a coach, it's really about making sure that I'm making my clients work. I'm not sitting here telling you exactly what you need to do, A, B, and C, and D. We're working together and co-creating that um, that knowledge together, like, okay, so I have this expertise on business or leadership or management or whatever the case may be or recruiting. And I can, you know, ask you the right questions to help you get to where you need to go. But I need you to do the work yourself. And if you say something that is contradictory to what you previously said, I need to challenge you. So my job is to sit here and ask you questions that are going to challenge you to make you really think about how you solve your own problem. So ultimately, somebody shouldn't be working. I mean, you can work with a coach long term, but it's one of those things. A good coach will help you get off of coaching as well, too, because they'll help you change the way that you really think in order for you to be able to achieve what you need to achieve. There may be different points in times where you do need to invest in you know, coaching again, or you may need a different coach to help you get to where you need to go next. But coaching should really operate like something where I want to change my mindset around this particular thing and achieve certain results based on my ability to just think differently. 
And so I would say as soon as you start feeling you're stagnated and you need somebody in your corner and you feel like you don't have anyone because entrepreneurship is very lonely sometimes. Um, some of us are blessed to have those support systems. Some of them, some of us really need to build them up, especially we see this a lot with, you know, people of color and women of color, especially. And so I would say the minute that you really start feeling like you need somebody and you don't have anyone, so you just need to keep on doing it yourself invest in a coach. Like that person can be that person that you need. And it might be the best person that you can put in your corner. Thank you so much for sharing that. And I totally agree with, um, you know, the idea of a coach, like it's not someone that has to be with you, you know, for the rest of your life or for, you know, the rest of whatever you're doing, but it's just like someone to kind of help you shift your perspective and help you grow and learn. And so, like you said, when you're starting to feel like stagnant or when you're starting to think like, okay, I need someone to hold me accountable or help me, you know, stretch towards this other goal, then that's when you, um, you know, should start working with one. So what do you think? Um, because a lot of times people invest in coaching or in somebody um and then they feel like it's not it wasn't a good fit like they realize like oh this wasn't a good um you know a good idea or whatever how like what questions should we ask or how should we you know navigate finding the perfect coach for us that's a really good question because a lot of the times people are dissatisfied with their coach or they, you know, they begin to think that coaches online are just scammers because, you know, it's, you know, people are constantly telling you the same information and rebranding it. And a lot of that is true. I feel the same exact way. I would say the things to look out for are A, um, you know, does this person have a success formula, quote unquote, that is going to help you get from point A to point B in the minute that, you know, you may not have the resources to put into their, you know, supposed formula, you know, they're going to be apprehensive and tell you that you need to invest more and you don't care and this at the next thing. A good coach is going to help you get to where you need to go incrementally with what you already have. There may be things that, and they can address certain things that you need to get this in order to really move forward. But a real coach should be able to give you an idea of where you are and what you can do with where you are and then be able to say, if you have this or you can put this into it, you're going to be able to get so much further. A you know, and that goes back to the coaching, the online coaching industry, I think, where it's like, you know, people have these online courses and it's like, if you don't have this, you're not going to get this result. And I only know how to get you to this result. That to me is not good coaching. And that's not something that you should be investing in. I would say the second part is if the person is just making you pay all this money up front and they're not giving you a good thorough consultation, mm-hmm. you know, if you're going to be pay, paying thousands and thousands of dollars, you should be able to speak with this person before you invest all this money into that. Um, and being able to understand like, what does this person do? What are going to be the expectations for coaching? What are they going to do for you? What is your contribution to coaching? What is that you have to bring to the table? So being able to have a consultation before you just push a button on a website and you're paying $2,000, you know, for a coaching session, um, you need to be able to speak with that person first. And then I would say the other thing is... You know, just making sure that they're a match, making sure that they are, you know, they have content that you can, that resonates with you. I feel as though most coaches online, decent coaches, they should have, you know, a website, they should have, you know, free content, free resources that are going to be available to you and really dig into what is already there and what's free. Like I said before, there's always going to be substitutes for coaching, but, um, you know, you can't replace coaching, I I think is a good way of putting it, is that having that one-on-one relationship with somebody who can really help you get to the next level is going to be different than you just sifting through, you know, 
hours worth, days worth of free content because every entrepreneur has probably done that, um, quite frankly. (laughs) See who it is that you resonate with them and, you know, be able to look at it objectively. Like, yes, I like this person. I like how they talk. I like their podcast interviews. Like, but do they actually, you know, if I can use their free content and get results with their free content, then how much more am I going to get working with this person one-on-one? So definitely before you invest in a coach, see what it is that they have available for free content because, you know, content marketing is just one of those things where that's the purpose of it is to be able to show people this is what I can do for you. And this is just what I'm giving away. So when you actually pay me, think about how much more you get. If, per- if people don't have the- that free content, you know, I would be somewhat wary of, you know, working with somebody who doesn't have content and who doesn't do consultations. So see what it is that you can get with them before you actually even pay them a single dime before you can actually, before you actually decide that you're going to pay them, you know, because coaching is, it's an investment. It's an investment because it is an upfront cost that costs a lot of money, but at the end of the day, it will give you a positive return on investment if you work with the right person. And so really sifting through those three things and understanding this is what I need, this is what I'm going to get out of working with this person before I even work with them is so crucial to you being able to understand when to invest in a coach and who to invest in. I couldn't agree more. I think you, I think you just explained that so perfectly, um, especially the whole content piece. Um, you know, it's so important when you are finding a, um, a coach that you like their content. I think so often, like we get hyped up on, oh, they promised this result, but like, look at their free content. Like, is, is it actually something that's, you know, unique to them or that you, do you feel like they took the time to even figure out if these things work? And are you able to get a result from whatever they're teaching, you know, even if it's just a quick win, something small, like the fact that whatever they're telling you is actually working, like that's a better indicator of, you know, the success of your relationship. And um, I think you said a piece about uh, the whole money, like the whole investment. Um, and like, trust me, I understand the investment of, um, of coaching. But like you said, if it's the right coach, it's going to, it's going to give you a huge return. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's worth it. But like you said, if you can't get a consult with them, if you can't get on the phone with them, if you can't talk to them, that might not be the person for you because, you know, at the end of the day, if you're, you know, some, some coaches, you know, charge two, $3,000 plus, you know, to, to kind of do a few sessions with them. Um, how do you feel about, um, like group coaching and stuff like that? Like, do you feel like that's a, you know, a good kind of middle ground if you can't afford to do one-on-one coaching? Absolutely. So this, I actually do group coaching sessions um, and I do free group coaching sessions every single, every other Sunday. So twice a month, um, the second Sunday, and then the fourth Sunday of the month, I open up for five people. It's about two hours long. And so group coaching, this is the, I actually even wrote a blog post about it, which I can send to you and you put it in your show notes. Yeah, of course. Group coaching. um, Here's the, here's the thing. You're not going to spend as much time one-on-one with somebody, but when you operate in a group, you can objectively look at somebody else's situation sometimes the things that you're not you're too afraid to bring up somebody else will bring those up and so when somebody you know kind of steps out and they are able to discuss a situation that they've been in that that is hard for them to talk about and hard for you to talk about sometimes you're more willing to open up and become vulnerable in that situation additionally you can see how somebody else's hand somebody else's situation is handled or what they're thinking and be able to learn just from listening to that conversation as well too and so it's definitely because economy is a scale plan to place it is going to be cost effective and you're not going to spend as much time with your coach 
but you're going to be able to do a more affordable, you're going to have a more affordable option that you can actually learn certain things from that you're not going to be able to learn from that one-on-one coaching session as well. And so I definitely believe in group coaching. It's definitely not for everyone, especially if, you know, I think when you first start coaching, you really need that one-on-one time. And even I've seen it with my clients who, you know, try to save a few dollars and we do bi-weekly coaching when they first start out. Sometimes you really need that. I need to talk to you every single week in order for us to really move the needle forward. It might may only be that I need to talk to you every single week for that first month and a half or two months. And then once we kind of get over like that four week mark, because I always feel like at that four week mark, something happens where you start really seeing the change in people and what they're doing and they think differently. So, you know, from the beginning, I think that, I, I think that this is it. When you're first starting out, group coaching might be a good fit for you to even determine whether or not you want to do coaching because you're probably going to, if you're doing group coaching with somebody and you want to think about hiring them one-on-one, you're going to see what they're going to be able to do and you're going to do it cost effectively. But also there are things and benefits of group coaching that you don't get when you're working with, you know, somebody in individually like you actually are building a community because you're all understanding each other becoming vulnerable in front of each other you're seeing how you guys are the same in some ways and then with coaching you're going to be accountable to your coach but when you're doing group coaching you're accountable to the entire group because you don't want to be the person who shows up the next week who didn't complete what they're supposed to be doing whereas when you're dealing with a coach sometimes you can make all these different excuses for why you didn't do what you needed to do and it's just you and that coach Right. But if you're in a group coaching session with four or five other women and you're the one who showed up and you didn't complete your goals, you're going to make, you're going to feel some sort of way, mm-hmm. you know? So I definitely think that group coaching has its own benefits and that it is a good, um, it's a good way to kind of dip your toe into the water with coaching initially, and then, you know, reinvest into one-on-one coaching if that's what you feel like you need to do. I love that. Thank you so much for sharing that. Um, So really quick before we head out of here, um, are there any special projects or anything that you have working on that's coming up for you? So special projects, um, as far as the summertime goes, not particular at this particular time, um, or not really at this particular time. What I will say is that I am open for um, speaking engagements. I'm open for, you know, workshop facilitation. I'm open for keynotes. Um, I'm open for interviews. And so I'm very much open for different things. Um, You know, I'm brand new to the city of Atlanta. I did touch upon that very briefly in the beginning of the podcast. And so I'm still trying to build my network out here. So I don't have a lot going on, but I am blessed to have had some things um, already come through um, at the beginning, like earlier on in this year, whether it was some speaking engagements, whether they were in Atlanta, I had one in Baton Rouge. Um, But I also do webinars as well too for my membership community. So those are things that are open to the public, but the membership community can access them retroactively. And so, you know, I will probably have a webinar coming up within the next few weeks. So definitely just, you know, continue to follow me. You can find me at um, Greater Now LLC on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. I don't really use Twitter as much anymore, but I'm Lindsay Marie Joe. So that's L-I-N-D-S-A-Y-M-A-R-I-E-J-O. Um, that's something from college. Like I, I miss when Twitter actually used to let you change your handle because it would be greater now. I'll see like everything else now, but it's not. Um, <laughs> you, know, you can find me, of course, at migratornow.com, which is my website. And then the membership community is migratornow.com slash community. Excuse me, migratornow.com slash membership. So if you want to get involved with the membership community, I'm starting my Facebook group. 
I have the webinars, I have other content that comes out specifically for that membership community to kind of build on, you know, the ability to learn in group settings at a, you know, affordable rate for everybody. And then again, like I said, I have the biweekly group coaching too, which is a really good segue from that into, you know, this, that if it is something that you are interested in, I do do that. I am limited to five people per session. And because the it is a free session, you know, you're only available, you're only able to join one session per a person, but um, you can also find that on the website as well. Perfect. Thank you so much for sharing that. And just really quick before we head out, I'd like to do a rapid fire round to ask a few questions just to kind of lighten things up if we talk about a deep topic. So are you ready? Great. I'm ready. <laughs> okay. Question number one, what is your favorite color? My favorite color is blue. I've always liked blue and it's like any shade of blue. I don't think there's a shade of blue that I don't like. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. nice. Okay. Okay. Question number two, what's a non-negotiable in your life? A non-negotiable in my life is, um, that's a good question. <laughs> and it shouldn't, it, that sounds really bad. Like I can't just answer that off the top of my head. I would say um, hygiene. If I'm dating, like hygiene, mm. I don't care what you look like. I don't care, you know, body type, things like that. But it's just like, if I see plaque in your teeth or dirt under uh, your nails, yes. you don't work outside. Like that's an <laughs> issue, like, stains on your clothes, like BO, like I would say hygiene is a number one thing for me when it comes to um, dating. Okay, that's a good one. Perfect. <laughs> I totally agree with that. So yeah, even my, even my oldest son, my oldest son has impeccable hygiene. You know what I mean? Wow. It's because I have it. So <laughs> okay, number three. What time do you wake up in the morning? That varies. I mean, my sleep schedule can be sometimes I can be a nighttime person. Sometimes I can be a morning person. Mm -hmm. um, my oldest son goes to school around six. And so oftentimes I'll get up with him. Um, but this morning I got up at nine, like I work from home. So that's the beauty of it is that yes. I don't have to get up at the same time every single day. Um, but I will say that I don't, it, you're not going to catch me sleeping past like 10. Okay. That's a good one. I, my sleep pattern is so varied as well. So I totally get that. Right. And sometimes <laughs> it's 4.30. It's some, let's just say sometimes between 4.30 and 10 o'clock in the morning or, or 9.30, I would say. 4.30 and 9.30 in the morning. Okay. Perfect. Perfect. Well, I love that because I, I always, people answer and they're like, oh, 6 a.m. I'm like, girl, 6 a.m. by yourself because that's not me. <laughs> but um, okay. Right. So question number four, what's the last podcast you listened to? The last podcast I listened to, um, my favorite podcast, I will say, is probably Side Hustle Pro. Mm, um, yes. I like Team Drive. Art Steel had a really good podcast that hasn't updated in about a year, I don't think. Um, Brown Ambition. So um, to be quite honest, I've fallen off some of my podcast listening. I think the last one I actually like listened to was probably, no, you know what, Kev on stage, Righteous and Ratchet. That's the one that I listen to every single week. I listen to mm. it just yesterday. Okay. I always think about it differently because that's the one that I watch on like YouTube or Facebook as opposed to like actually just listening to the on audience. the app. Mm -hmm. Right. So I would say Righteous and Ratchet is like my favorite podcast right now that I listen to like religiously. But, um, you know, again, those are some of my favorite podcasts. So anything that has to do with like most of them are business related. Righteous and Ratchetness. Righteous and Ratchet is probably the only one that is not like a business related a business. podcast that I listen to. Gotcha. Okay, I have to check that one out because I didn't even know he had a podcast. I have to go listen to that. And question number five, what does it mean to you to be a female creative or a female entrepreneur? 
what does it mean to be a female creative or entrepreneur? I feel as though, um, going back to some of the things that we did talk about, I feel like your career should be a creation, not necessarily just a job. It's something that you're combining your skills and your talents and abilities in order to be able to, you know, make something productive out of it that you're going to be able to sustain your livelihood on. And so for me, it is, um, you know, especially like we said earlier on, you know, having only really joined the workforce in about the last four years, excuse me, the last 40 years, getting educated within the last 40 years at a pace that is equal or above men and things like that. I feel like it is, I feel like it, there is some freedom in it um, because, you know, society has shifted because women have been in the workforce. Um, now you see higher rates of divorce, which, you know, is not necessarily a bad thing because if you think about it, a lot of our, um, you know, women who have come ahead of us, they are just in, you know, ha- unhappy marriages for the duration of their life because they have no way to get out of a bad relationship or they are financially dependent on somebody. And so you now see we have a society where women make up 40% of either the breadwinners or the sole the primary breadwinners or sole breadwinners in our society right now. And so being a female creative or entrepreneur, it's freedom. Um, And it's also freedom from, you know, having other situations dictated. Like for me, I am a, I work as a W-2 employee, but I'm a contractor. And, you know, sometimes my hours are full-time depending on what clients I'm working with. Sometimes they're part-time. Um, and so that is a decision where it's like, I, you know, the ability for me to feed my kids and pay all my bills is too much to put in someone's hands by themselves. Mm. Like, and I've learned that over the last year, like it's difficult, but you know, that's why, again, going back to what keeps me going and how I do all of it, it's just motivation and being hungry because it's like, I'm not going to not have food on my table because somebody decided that they wanted to end a project because they feel as though their company is broke. Like we're not doing that. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I totally feel you on that. Totally feel you. Yes. Well, thank you so much for these answers. Really quick, one more time, can you tell us how to connect with you? Maybe like on Instagram or your website? Yep. So the website is mygreaternow.com. The on Facebook and Instagram, I'm at Greater Now LLC. Um, Pinterest, Greater Now LLC, Twitter, Lindsay Marie Joe, and then Let's see. My email is lindsay at migratornow.com. So you can reach me any of those ways. Um, And again, if you follow my Facebook, you'll be able to see um, all the events that I post. You can see it on Instagram too, but I feel like Facebook is still like my primary go-to as over Instagram, quite frankly. So you can see everything that is that I'm doing. Um, You can join my newsletter. If you go to migratornow.com slash newsletter, you can, you know, I put it out every single week and you'll kind of see what's going on with my events and so on and so forth. Perfect. Thank you. Thank you so much, Lindsay. This has been such a pleasure to talk to you about all this stuff. I mean, from coaching to, you know, just the whole work and and being women in the workplace and all that kind of stuff. Like, it's really nice to kind of have these kind of dialogues and discussions. So I really appreciate you for coming on the podcast today. And I hope you have an amazing day. Thanks for coming on. Absolutely. And it was a pleasure to speak with you too. And thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for checking out this episode of the She's a Creative Podcast. If you enjoyed this, let me know by sharing a review on iTunes or sending me a screenshot of you listening to this podcast and your favorite part. Go follow me on social media to get more inspiration, wisdom, and tips at She's a Creative Podcast or at Mrs. K. Hillman on Instagram. And check out the blog at She's a Creative.com. I love you, creative darlings, so much. And until next time, keep building your creative dreams.